Okay, we're going to start here on Mem Gimel Ramal of six lines down in the Gemara. Gemara has continued to discuss the statement of Rav Chista yesterday, which was, Amar Rav Chista, Afal Pishamru, Enot Nim Kli, Tachat Tarnagola, the Kabel Beit Sata. One may not place a utensil to catch the egg being laid by the chicken. If it's in a place that will be precarious and the egg will possibly be damaged, you may not put a Kli there to catch it. On the other hand, one can overturn a kli to cover it once the egg has already been laid in order to protect the egg. And the Gemara wants to know why is Ravchista's position such? So we had yesterday, we discussed Rabba's position, which is my time with Ravchista. And Rabba explained the position of Ravchista premised on Hatzala Mitsuya Hetiru. That when it comes to normal conditions, normal outcomes that you would expect, Chazal in that case gave dispensations in order to allow for saving of items, including the egg here, when it's a normal occurrence. When a chicken legs an egg, that's very normal. And to have to cover it over to protect it, that's normal. So it allowed you to use a cleat to do that. On the other hand, to have a chicken lay an egg on an incline or decline where it's going to roll off and be in a precarious position, that is less likely. And therefore, they didn't give any dispensation to put a cleat there to capture it. The Gemara had a number of questions on that and responded to those questions. Today we have Rav Yosef offering an alternative explanation of Rav Chista's position. And Rav Yosef says, Problem is that you're actually changing the utility of the kli. Until this point, this kli had utility on Shabbat. It's allowed to be used on Shabbat. Now that the egg is going to end up in the kli, that's going to change that. Now you have muksa inside of the kli. You will no longer be able to pick up the kli or use it at all. And so now you are mevatel. You nullify the kli, the utensil, mehechano, what it was prepared for what its original intent was. You've now changed the primary utility of this kli that was able to be used on Shabbat, and now you've locked it in place by having the muksa go into it. We discussed yesterday that Rashi has two approaches to what is the problem of the Vatel kli mehechano. He says either it's a problem of boneh, looks like you've cemented the kli in place because you can no longer move it, or in other places later in the Masech, the Rashi says it's soter. You are undermining, you are deconstructing the kli because... You've now taken the kli out of its normal utilization. Now, Eitz ve'abaye, abaye challenges Rav Yosef's position. Very similar questions to that which we have with Rabo. It is chavit shel tevel shenishbira. We have a barrel of tevel that breaks. On Shabbat, you can bring another kli and capture the liquid that's coming out of it in order to protect it, even though it's tevel. And tevel is muks on Shabbat because you can't eat tevel on Shabbat. Can't take off chumot masrot and you can't eat it as it is. Where it says, no, tevel muchan hu etzel Shabbat. Tevel is not considered to be muksa on Shabbat. Items that are not usable on Shabbat are generally considered to be muksa. Tevel, this tevel will not be usable on Shabbat. You can't eat it in its current state. You can't take off Shumot So that makes it basically out of mind. Muksa. Yet, the Gemara here says that tevel is muhan who ate Shabbat. That's not the case by tevel. Tevel is considered to be muhan, as if it is ready, and something that's within the frame of mind, the purview of an individual entering Shabbat. Shimavar no mitukan. Because if he violates the sur and takes off Shumot Masrot, mitukan, it works. And then you could eat it on Shabbat. Tosafot over here discusses what type of answer is that. Well, so if someone sins and disregards the restriction against taking off Chumot and Masrot on Shabbat, therefore it would be okay? If that's the case, then it's not Mokset? That doesn't seem like a logical conclusion. So first of all, Tosafot says, V'nira denakat avar kegon lately peirachrinet. Tosafot says it's a case where he has nothing else to eat. This is what he has to eat and nothing else. So over there, we allow him, or he violates the Isra Durabanan of Chumot and Masrot, taking them off on Shabbat in order to eat. Over there, that's the case that we're talking about. In that situation, it will be Muchanhu, 
Because a person knows that if he has nothing else to eat, the teva will be something that he could eat. That's number one. Number two, Tosavot differentiates between the case here of Tevel and the case that we had in the Mishnah. He says, wait a minute, if you're willing to say that Tevel is Muhan because you take off the Trumot Masrot against the Takanat Chachamim not to take them off, so why can't you say the same thing by the Beitzah? The egg that goes into the bowl, so you'll take the egg out of the bowl, and the bowl will be fine now. So he violated the Yisra Muqsah, but from what you're saying here, we are allowed it to be called Muhan when the only thing standing between you and making the plea usable, or the food usable, is an Yisra Durabanan. So Tosavit says, That's not a good question. In its current state, the utensil with the egg in it has no way to be mutar. This tevel, this tevel that you're looking at could be fine. You could be mafish chuma masrot from another place. You could have chuma masrot, and that item that's standing in front of you, the exact item that's mukse, can be eaten. And that's why there's this dispensation that's considered to be muhan, even though it's generally not utilized on Shabbat itself. That's not true by the Kli and the Beitzah. Once the Beitzah is in the Kli, as they currently stand, there's no way to remove the Isur. The only way to remove the Isur is to exit the Shabbat and muqsa to be over. But not if you violate, we're not telling you take the egg out of the bowl. That's not the current status. Then you've changed the current status. And that's not what we're speaking about. Tozbo differentiates here between the Tevel and the case of the egg that is laid into the bowl. Now, the Gemara says, Similar to the question that was posed to Rabbah, you're allowed to put a utensil there to capture the sparks that are coming off the lamp. So there again, seems like there's a problem. How can you do that? That's That's not a problem because Nitzotzot are not of substance. They're not substantial. They're not considered to be muksa and they're not the kli because... They disappear, they dissipate. Sparks are not something that is considered to be real in a halachic sense, and therefore they don't have a din of mukset. You have a beam in the house that breaks, and then you don't want it to break any further, so you support it with a bench or with the bedboards. That's the case. Why isn't that mevato klimehechano? Before this was a usable bed or a usable bench, and now you're using it to prop up the house. That's Mavata Glimechano. How come you can do it there? Marzez, the Rafi. He actually, when he slides in the bench or the bedboards to support the beam, it's still very loose. If he wants to, he can pull it back out. It's not like the house or the beam is resting on it. If he pulls it, everything will collapse. He just put it there in case. In case it comes down further, it will stop it. But it's loose enough where he can pull it out. And therefore, it's not considered to be Mavata Glimechano. You can place a utensil under a drip on Shabbat. Again, the water there is considered to be muksa. It wasn't prepared before Shabbat. It wasn't within the framework of that individual coming into Shabbat. And the water that's dripping now is muksa going into the kli. It's going to be mevato, the kli mechano. Once it falls into the kli, you can't move it anymore. Yet, we say, our Mishnah says you can do that. We're talking about a drip that is potable, drinkable water. So the water is not muksa because this water is drinkable water. We're not talking about dirty water or gutter water that's coming down and making it into muksa. It says, One can overturn a basket in front of the little chicks. So they can climb up and climb down. So again, why isn't that mevato Here you're overturning a basket in order to provide a step for the chick. The chicks are muksa. And now, once you place the basket down there, it'll be mevato klimeyechano. It says, Rav Yosef's explanation within Rav Kista 
has to believe, in that case, you can still use the basket. Right, so is that true? Batanya Asurlatotala. We have a bright that says explicitly you can't pick it up. So, but, oh, then Allah. No, 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 that's a, we have to qualify that. When the chicks are still in the basket, you can't pick the basket up. Once the chicks are off the basket, you can take it up and pick it up again. Vatanya, Afopisheno, Danalava, Sur. Don't we have another bright that says, even once the chicks are no longer on the basket, you may not move it anymore? That's only true when the chicks are on it during the duration of Benesh Mashot of Twilight going into Shabbat. Because of a principle that's going to come up over and over again with regards to Muksa, which is Migo, Titkatse, the Benesh Mashot. Since something is Muksa during that Twilight coming on Friday night into Shabbat, Titkatse, the Kulayoma. It remains muksa for the entire day. The status of the item is set or determined by when you enter into Shabbat. When you enter into Shabbat, if it's muhan, it will be muhan. If you enter into Shabbat, it's muksa, then it remains muksa for the whole Shabbat. There is a machloket later on in the Misecht about whether there's muksa the chatzis Shabbat. We believe that you can actually create muksa. Something can become muksa on Shabbat, but cannot become muhan. That means here that it was muksa benesh mashot because there were chicks on the basket for the duration of twilight. That's the case. It's muksa during that period of time. If it's muksa during that period of time, that means that it's muksa for the remainder of Shabbat. Now, as Tosafot points out, that this Gemara must believe near the read that the savrei muksa lechatzi Shabbat. You can't create muksa in the middle of Shabbat because if you can create muksa in the middle of Shabbat, once the chicks go onto the basket, then it already became muksa. Once it becomes muksa, you can't remove the shame muksa from it. And that's even in the middle of Shabbat. So the read concludes that our Gemara must believe that you can't make something muksa in the middle of Shabbat. But according to the one who says there is muksa lechatzi Shabbat, how is he going to explain the brighter here or the position that says that you are allowed to pick up the basket afterwards? So Tosua gives two explanations. One is Himuki Rabbi Shimon. They hold like Rabbi Shimon, there is no muksa. Then you can definitely pick it up. And the other possibility is that when we say there's muksa the chazi Shabbat, that only is achila, not for til tul. Even if you believe that you can create muksa in the middle of Shabbat or something called muksa in the middle of Shabbat, that's only to preclude you from eating it. But that does not mean you cannot pick it up anymore. That would be the same case with the basket over here. So we have three instances of statements about the basket. One is that you may pick up the basket. That's a case where the chicks climbed up and got off of it, and you're allowed to take it. We have a case where you're not allowed to pick it up. We said that's when the chicks are still on it. That's muksa. And then there's one other bread that says, and even when the chicks are off of it, you can't pick it up. That's why I mean a case where chicks were on it through a whole duration of twilight, benesh mashot. That makes it muksa for the entire Shabbat, and that's why you can't pick it up even after the chicks dismount. Now... Amar Yitzchak. Rav Yitzchak disagrees with Rav Chista. We had Rav Chista's statement, and then we had the explanation of Rabba and Rav Yosef in Rav Chista's statement, where he distinguished between whether the egg was into the bowl or the bowl was placed on top of the egg. On the other hand, Rav Yitzchak disagrees and says, Just like one may not put a kli to capture the egg that is being laid underneath the chicken, You may not also place a kli over it, in order that it doesn't break, a savar, Rav Yitzhak obviously holds, one may not pick up a utensil on Shabbat, except for utilizing it for something that also can be utilized on Shabbat. One may not pick up a kli to benefit muksa or something that's muksa on Shabbat. Now the Gemara presents all the questions that they just asked on Rabba and Rav Yosef. The same questions which seems to be that we have Mishnayot throughout the Masechta that seem to indicate that you can do Hatzal, you can do saving, with a kli, even though there's muksa going to the kli, 
and you're picking up a clean to benefit muksa or something that's muksa on Shabbat. So how do we answer those questions? When you need that spot. So you're allowed to pick up a kli, according to Rabbi Yitzchak, even though a kli is only allowed to be moved for utilizing it for something that also can be utilized on Shabbat. Nevertheless, there's another dispensation, which is Sarech Mekomo. If you need the place where the Kli is, so for instance, if the Kli is sitting on a chair, and you want to sit down on that chair, you're able to pick up the Kli, even though obviously picking it up now, you're not picking it up for something that also can be utilized on Shabbat. Nevertheless, you're allowed to do that because you want to sit on the chair, and that's permissible. Once you have it in your hand already, since you picked it up from the chair, you can put it down wherever you want, or you can use it for any of these saving methodologies that we're speaking about over here. So that is the answer that will be given here, that the kli was picked up at Tzarech Mikomo, where it needs that location. That's important to know, that in general, when you have a dispensation to pick up muksa on Shabbat, then once you have it in your hand, then you can put it down wherever you want. You don't have to drop it right away. You don't have to get rid of it right away. If you have permission to pick up muksa, you can place it down where you choose, because you picked it up in a permissible fashion. Now, Tosvot asks a very basic question, if the answer by all these Mishnayot is the same thing, which is Tzarech Mikomo, why do I need all these Mishnayot that all give me different ways of saving, telling me the same information, which is that for Tzarech Mikomo, you can move a Kuli on Shabbat. And those that ask that question, Why do I need a Torah of Mishnayot to teach me the same din of Tzarech Mikomo as Mutar? So he says, And it gives a Chiddush in each of these. The case of the sparks. Maybe you would think over there that even though you're allowed to pick it up at Tzarech Mekomo, nevertheless, in this case you can't do it because you might come to extinguish it. And also with Kofim Karash, the other put the bowl upside down to stop the fire from catching the roof. Also over there, maybe you would think you'd come to extinguish it so he wouldn't let you do it. Also, the Korash and Ishpara, the beam that broke in the house. We don't worry about him pushing the beam back up and rebuilding what was there and fixing that's there. So each one of these Mishnayot, which gives you permission to use a kli for some purpose, and Rabbi Yitzhak says the only reason you have the kli in your hand right now is because you needed it for Mikomo. You needed a location where the kli was, and therefore you picked it up. Once you had it, you put it into a position that it helps you. Why do I need so many Mishnayot to tell me that that's the case? Because each one of these Mishnayot, you would have had a Havamina to say, maybe not in this case. Maybe because you'll come to extinguish. Maybe you'll come to fix it. So maybe I would say no. In all these cases, you're allowed to pick it up for Tzarech Mikomo. Now, Tashma. Achad Beitza Shinodah B'Shabbat. Achad Beitza Shinodah B'Yom Tov. Whether an egg is born on Shabbat or on Yom Tov. Ein metaltodim lo lechasot ba'etakli. V'lismoch ba'kari amita. One may not take that egg in order to use it as a plug for a bottle of some sort. V'lismoch ba'kari amita. Or to support the legs of the bed. Aval kofel ha'kli b'shvil shaloti shaver. But you're allowed to overturn a kli in order that it doesn't break. So my says, Achanami b'tzarech mikomo. Again, the same answer that we gave before, that it's tzarech mikomo. Tosavot points out over here, why is the questioner even questioning? We already know that we have an answer for all these Mishnayot and all these questions, which is it's Tzarech Mikomo. He needed a location where the Kli was, that's why he had it in his hands, and then he used it for whatever it was. So Tozvot says, They're posing the question to see if there's an alternative answer besides Tzarech Mikomo. The Gemara doesn't have any other alternative, it goes back to Tzarech Mikomo. Tashma, Porsim Machatzalot Al Abanim. One can spread mats over stones on Shabbat. Now these stones are muksa, and now you're carrying this mat to cover those stones that are muksa on Shabbat. So why are you allowed to do that? You may not pick up a glee to benefit muksa or something that's muksa on Shabbat. 
The answer is that those aren't just regular stones. Those are bavim or kurzalot. They are sharp stones that are good for toilet paper. Chazin the Beit they're good to use in the privy. Tashma, another case. One can't spread mats over bricks. Bishabat. Now bricks, the ishtuya mibinyana, that were left over from a building construction site, from building. Now, if they were designated for building, they're clearly muksa, and you shouldn't be able to do it. But now, what we're saying is, no, they were left over from building supplies. That's in the Mizgalayu. And you can set them up to sit on them. You see that many times after construction is done, and they leave around some of the stones and the bricks. You can sit on them. You can lay out the bricks and sit on them. So they're no longer considered to be building materials. They're no longer considered muksa, and that's why you can bring the mats to cover them on Shabbat. Tashma, porsim mechatzelet al-gabei kvaret dvarim. One can't put a mat over a beehive. Bishabbat, bechama mipnei achama. Shabbat to protect it and from the heat, the sun, or from the rain. As long as he doesn't then capture the bees by putting the mat over there and not letting them any escape. What's the case here? Here you have a beehive. A beehive is muksa. So how could you put the mat on top of it? The Gemara says, the ikok dvash. There's honey in the beehive, and therefore it's something that's roi la'chila on Shabbat, and it's not muksa. Tosafot does point out that we must be talking about a case where either the honey was already scraped out of the comb, or that there was some loose honey that was flowing on top of the beehive. Because otherwise you couldn't access the honey on Shabbat, and that would be problematic, because it would be muksa, because you can't access it. So, Amalei Ravuk for Mimeshon Ravashi, Tinach I understand what you mean when it says summertime. You're allowed to cover it from the sun in the summertime, the Ika Devash, because at that time of the year, there is honey in the honeycombs. In the wintertime, the Leka Devash, there's no honey, Ma'ika Lameimar. How you going to explain this? You need it for those two remaining parts of the hive that you leave behind. So the Gemara describes another places when it comes to a honeycomb. When you take out the honey and you scrape out the honey, that you scrape out all of the honey, but you leave two rows or two areas of the honeycomb behind, in order to sustain the remaining bees. They need something to eat. They need something to sustain themselves. So you leave that behind so that next year there will be more bees and they will be able to make more honey. But if you leave nothing, then the bees will have nothing to eat and then they won't survive. So they we're talking about those two leftovers. In the wintertime, those two leftover rows. When it says, What do you mean? That's muksim. It's muksim because you designate them for the bees' usage, not for your usage. That's something that's out of your mind to use. So if it's out of your framework to use it, that's called muksit. Where it says, the choshiv that before Shabbat he thought, I'm going to eat that honey. Where it says, if that's the case, if he had not considered eating them before Shabbat, my, what would be the din asur? You wouldn't be able to take them because they're muksit. If that's the case, that at the end of that break, it says, as long as he doesn't intend to trap the bees, we can make a finer distinction inside the breita. When is that true? When are you allowed to cover the honeycomb when you have intent to eat the honey? If you had no intent to eat that honey that was left in those two rows, a sore. When it says no, it comes to teach us why did the Brighton not do that? Even when you have intent to eat them, you're still not allowed to cover over the honeycomb and trap the bees inside. Mani, who's the author of this Brighton? Rabbi Shimon, Rabbi Shimon is the author of the Brayta, lately Muksa. Rabbi Shimon can't be the author here, because then there's no din of Muksa. Why do you have to think about it ahead of time to make sure that it's usable on Shabbat? You don't have to do anything. There's no Muksa going to Rabbi Shimon. E Rabbi Udo thinks there is Muksa on Shabbat. Kilomit Gavain, Mahavi. Had Davar Shemit Gavain Asur. And he already said, we know Rabbi Udo's position is that Davar Shemit Gavain is Asur. Rabbi Udo believes by Davar Shemit Gavain that you are Chayav. So here it's a case where you're not intending to trap, even though you might trap. So it's Davar Shemit Gavain. Davar Shemit Gavain is only relevant to Rabbi Shimon who says it's mutar. 
But according to Rabbi Yehuda, it says that it's chayav, or a sewer, that's problematic. I says, Olam Rabbi Yehuda. Now, the author of the bright days, Rabbi Yehuda, what does it mean that he doesn't have intent to trap? You shouldn't make it like a trap. Make sure that you leave space for them to escape. So that you do not trap them by accident. And that it won't happen by itself. You're not intending to trap them, but you might trap them anyway. But make sure, that's the advice here, make sure that you leave them an escape route so that you do not cause trapping here of the bees. Ravashi Amar, Ravashi says, wait a minute, you misunderstood the Raita. Mitani bimotachama ubimotachshamim. Doesn't say anything here about summer and winter. All it says is bechama bipneachama. Tani, from the sun when it's hot. And gshamim bneachshamim. And when it's raining, from the rain. That's what's written there. Biyomay bisan, biyomay tishrei. It could be talking about during the spring and the fall. Dika chama vika gshamim. Sometimes there is rain, sometimes there is hot days. Vika dvash. And the honeycombs are full of dvash and honey in that time. And that's how we'll reconcile with the bright to say that there's honey in there. Because honey in there, it's not mukse. It's not muksa, then we don't worry about putting the machatzelet on top of it. Because then you're not misusing this kli on Shabbat to protect something that's muksa. Using it to protect food, which is usable on Shabbat, and that is utilizing it for something that also can be utilized on Shabbat. Amalu Rav Sheshit. Rav Sheshit says, Poku v'amru le'ed Rav Yitzchak. Go tell Rav Yitzchak, Kvar tirgamar Rav Huna l'shmatech b'bavel. Rav Huna already preceded you in Bavel with this same shita. Shita of Rav Yitzchak, which we saw before, is that, E'en kli nital, ela ledavar nital b'shabbat. That you can only use a glyph, utilizing it for something that also can be utilized on Shabbat. He says, Rav Huna already said this. Why? Dam Rav Huna, osi mechitza lemeit b'shvil chai. One can create a mechitza, some sort of covering or surrounding walls to protect the mate, b'shvil chai. You can't do it for the mate itself, you have to do it for people who are living. They don't see mechitza the mate, b'shvil mate. But you can't make a mechitza of the mate if it's solely for the benefit of the mate. Mahi, what's the story here? Tamar of Shmuel bar Yehuda, v'chein tana shilamari, mate hamutal b'chama. You have a corpse that's laying out in the sun, and the problem with the mate, the corpse laying out in the sun, is that it's going to rot. It's not covered a mate, the body's going to decompose, we want to take care of it. We want to protect it. So what do you do? You can't touch it. The body's muksa. And what we just saw from Ravuna is you also can't put up cover or mechitzo specifically for the mate because that is impermissible on Shabbat. You're using kelim on Shabbat for the mate who is muksa. You can't do that. So what do you do? That's what you do. They sit alongside of him. If they feel it's very hot underneath them, each one of them brings a mattress or a bed to sit on so they're off the ground and don't feel it so hot. But then the sun's beating down on them. They feel that and they want to shade themselves. Then they hold up a mat or some sort of cover on top of them. Then what does he do? He flips the bed up and now the bed holds the shade that was created by the mat that he was holding up before because now the bed is holding it up. And then he leaves. And the other party does the same thing. And then Mechitza is built. It was built for the purpose of those that were there, the live people. But then it benefits the mate. So Tosvat asks, why do we need this whole ceremony where they get hot underneath and you put the mattress underneath? If they just want to pick a mattress out and sit on it, that's fine too. Why do you have to go through these steps? So he says, Whatever they could do to make it a hekir, that this is really for the people that are alive and not for the mate, they did. So they made sure that they came and sat first, and then they felt hot, and then they brought the mitah. They could have just stood the mitah up on its side for the begin with. The second thing Rashi points out, and Tosafot puts seconds, is that it has to be done specifically in this order. If you were to put up the walls first, the mitot first, and then put the machatzelet, the mats over the top, that is what's called building an olharai, a temporary ol on Shabbat, and that's restricted midrabanan. 
one may not build an OLRI. So the way to avoid that problem is to first put up the roof and then put the walls up. Right? The opposite of sukkah. In order to build a kosher sukkah, you have to put up the walls first and then the schach afterwards. So if you don't want to create an ohel, you do just the opposite. You put up the top first, put up the machatzel or the cover up first, and then afterwards you bring in the walls to support the machatzel. That's what they do. They first hold up the mats, and then they lift up the beds to hold the mats after the mats are already in place, shading them from the top. But what do you see here from Ravuna's position? Ravuna believes you can't carry these mats for the benefit of the mate. You can only carry them for the benefit of live people. Why? Because the mate is muksa, and you can't utilize kelim and shabbat for the benefit of something that's mukseb. They can only be used for something that's nital b'shabbat, something that is carried on Shabbat. Tosva points out here why these individuals are allowed to leave after they put up the mechitza for the mate is because we don't require them to stay there and use the mechitza. As long as they were put up for their benefit, then that's enough. We don't make them stay around afterwards and then use it before they leave it for the mate. As long as it was only done for, it was done for their benefit, then that's enough in order to leave it there for the mate. Itmar. So why are we on this topic? Mate amutal If you have a corpse that's lying out in the sun, you can roll the mate from bed to bed. It's on a bed, but another bed next to him, and you lift up this bed, he rolls off onto the next bed, and you can move along that way. Base a loaf of bread or a young child on top of the mate, then you carry it because you're carrying the mate to carry the item that's on top of them. So you're only using it as a vehicle to carry that which is mutar on top of it. And since it's a basis, the davara mutar, we allow you to do this. That was the question, if you remember back in Bamei Madikim, the Shlomo posed the Chachamim after his father David had died. If there's a loaf of bread or a young child there, everybody agrees that that's mutar. When there's no loaf of bread there and no young child. Second opinion, which is Reb Chanina Bar Shalmai, Mishmet the Rav says, Tilto Menetzad Shmei Tilto. When you do Tilto, which is not a direct carrying of the object, but an indirect carrying of the object, like here, where you're lifting up the bed and the mate or the corpse rolls off of it, that's called Tilto Menetzad, indirect movement. That is a sore. Whereas Shmuel holds, Reb Yudam Shmuel says, Mar Savar Lo Shmei Tilto. That's not considered carrying a Shabbat, it's mutar. Because it's not considered the carrying of Muksa on Shabbat. Lema Kitanai, let us say that this is similar to a Machloket Tanaim that we see also. One may not save a corpse, a mate, from the fire. I heard that you can save the corpse. Hey, what's the case here? If we have a loaf of bread or a young child there, my time is the Tanakamo. Then why does the Tanakam say it's not allowed? It should be perfectly permissible. Either Lekka, if there's nothing there to put on the mate, my time is Rabbi Yudah ben Lokish. Why does Rabbi Yudah ben Lokish say you can pick up the corpse? Why are you allowed to move it on Shabbat? Elav betiltum in etzad plige. They must be arguing about carrying it in an indirect way. Demar Savar tiltum in etzad shmei tiltum. The Tanakam believes that when you do tiltum in etzad, that is called tiltum, and therefore you cannot carry it on Shabbat. Umar Savar and Rabbi Yudah ben Lokish says it's lo shmei tiltum. That's not called carrying on Shabbat. And therefore you can move the mate on Shabbat. Umar says lo. The Kuliyama Tilto Menatzad Shmei Tilto. Indirect movement of the mate is considered to be carrying it on Shabbat and would be a violation of the Isur of Muksa and you cannot do it. So then what's the reason behind Rabbi Yudem and Lakish that says it's Mutar? I know time with Rabbi Lakish to mitoch shadam bahul al meito. Because a person is very worried about the Niftar that's found in their house. If we don't allow him to move the mate out, He'll come to a much bigger Yisur, which is that he'll extinguish the fire. He's under duress now. He's under pressure. He has a mate, a karovis to his, probably, that's in the house. And now if the fire assumes them, there won't be anything left. So he's under pressure. He has to make a choice here. So if we tell him he can't move the mate, what is he going to do? He said, okay, I won't move the mate. I'm going to just go extinguish the fire so nothing happens. So we'd rather that he picks up the mate, which is an Yisur Durabonon of Mukseh, 
then get involved in the issue of kibui, of extinguishing, which is an iser de oraita. So since the person is in a pressured situation, psychological duress, we say better to allow him to move the mate, which is mukse, than to put him in a position where he can't move the mate, and he'll make a worse decision, which is that he'll actually extinguish the fire. But, if that's the case, that's only a dispensation by fire. But if it's mutala chamav, it's sitting out in the sun, that would be a sur, because you can't move it. Burning up in the sun, there's no bahul al What is he going to do there? There's no isur doraita that he's going to violate, and therefore we say you can't. We upheld the din chachamim, that's muksa, and you can't move the mate. Tosfo does point out, later on in the Masechta, we have a principle that when people have possession inside of a house that's burning down, we don't let them go in to take out their possessions. Because, we said over there, a person is bahul al mimono, and he wants to get all of his possessions out. And if we let him go in and get his possessions out, he's going to extinguish the fire so he can get more of his possessions out. So that's what it says. Why are we going to the opposite conclusion? Over here, we're saying that if it's a mate, a corpse in there, we're going to give him a dispensation to take the corpse out so he doesn't extinguish the fire. Yeah, when it comes to his possessions, we say the opposite. We're not going to let him go save his possessions because if we let him save his possessions, then he'll put the fire out. So what's the difference? Why are the cases different? So that's what explains. If we allow him to go in and take out his possessions, he'll be so tarud, so engrossed or distracted to by the need to save all that's there that he might come to extinguish it by accident, the shogeg. And that we don't expect him to do it intentionally, but because he's so involved in the process of saving, that would be the natural occurrence to be mechaber the fire. But I'll make told it's the air When it comes to a corpse, a relative, person is in tremendous pain. And if you don't allow them to do it, they'll go in intentionally and put it out. It has such a strong emotional pull to them that that would make them violate the Shabbat in order to protect the corpse. So that's why we let it take it out. But their possessions, we feel that if we let them go in, they would get distracted. If they got distracted, they might extinguish. So we say, don't do it. But it's not something where a person has such a high emotional attachment that it'll produce the outcome of them extinguishing in order to protect it. That we don't think by possessions. We don't think that by a corpse or a mate. Amr Rabbi Yehuda ben Shilo, Amr Rabbi Asi, Amr Rabbi Yochan, Aloha, Rabbi ben Lokish. The Aloha is actually like, Rabbi ben Lokish ben mate. In the case of a mate, that you can carry a mate out of the fire, a corpse out of the fire, in order to protect it from being consumed in the fire. Now the Reed points out over here, the fact that the Gemara concludes, the Kuliyamo Tiltum in Etzad Shmei Tilto, makes it sound like that's the Gemara's conclusion. And that's all Ocha. That Tiltum in Etzad indirect carrying is considered to be Tilto, and therefore it's a Suran Shabbat. But then the Reed brings a long list of items where that's not the case, where we do allow Tiltum in Etzad on Shabbat. So how does he reconcile them? The Reed says this, You have to differentiate. The only reason that you're moving the bed is to get the mate to move. So the pro- even though it's tiltul men at side, even though it's indirect movement, the only reason to pick up the bed is so that the mate falls off the bed. It's not comparable to all these other cases where they do allow tiltul men at side. Then you're doing the primary movement for the object itself. And not for something that's on top of it. For instance, if you have a pillow that has a coin left on it, you have a pillow that has a stone left on it, those items are muks on top of the pillow. So, do you want the coin or the stone? No, you want the pillow. So, the pillow is technically muksa because now it has muks on top of it. We say, well, tilt them in its side. When you pick up the pillow, it just happens that the stone falls off. Or it just happens that the money falls off. The muksa is tilt them in its side and falls off by itself. But again, what Tosawat is pointing out is that the tilt in this case, the carrying primarily is focused on the pillow. The carrying of the pillow, the tilt is for the pillow. But Hands up having to the muksa is tilt in its side. Over here by the bed, there's no reason to lift the bed. The only reason you're lifting the bed is so that the mate rolls off of it. So in that case, that tilt in its side is considered to be too close, and that is a sewer. That is called tilt in its side, but it's shmei tilto. That is called a carrying that is a sewer on Shabbat because of the issues of muksa. Now the 
last line here in the Gemara before the Mishnah, which is, One may not derive benefit from the Shemen that's in the lamp because it wasn't something that a person had in mind going into Shabbat to utilize it. The leftover oil that's inside of the lamp, that's in the bowl that was used for lighting on Shabbat, Asur, you can't use it because it's mukseh. It's mukseh because when you went into Shabbat, that oil was designated to be used for the lamp. You don't have anything in mind to use it. But we also have our disagreement, which is Rabbi Shimon Matir. Rabbi Shimon says it's mutar because Rabbi Shimon believes that there's no issue of mukseh on Shabbat. Since there's no issue of mukseh on Shabbat, he says once the nair is out, then you can go take the oil and utilize the oil. No problem. So Tosfot asks over here, he doesn't understand. It's very interesting, Awalcha, that with regards to Hanukkah candles, when it comes to Hanukkah candles, if you have leftover oil from the Hanukkah candles on the first night, you should use it on the second night. And on the second night, the third night, so on and so forth, until you reach the eighth night. On the eighth night, if you have oil that is left over, what do you do with it? Gemara says, you put it into a medura. You have to burn it off, because it's hooks of the mitzvah. It was designated for the mitzvah, and therefore you can't utilize it for mundane matters. It belongs to the mitzvah, and you burn it off, in order that the mitzvah doesn't get used in an inappropriate manner. So Tosfat asks, wait a minute, what about Nero Shabbat? Why don't we have the same din here with regards to the Nero Shabbat? Nero Shabbat is a mitzvah. And you put the oil in the Nero Shabbat, how come when the candles are out, we don't say about that oil, that that's huksal mitzvah to, and you would have to burn it off. Both are going to Rabbi Shimon, who doesn't hold the mukseh, but when it comes to mukseh machmat mitzvah, it should have been problematic. And even according to the Chachamim, who say it's problematic, they only say it's problematic because it's a din in mukseh. But once Shabbat is over, they say, fine, go ahead, you can use that oil. Why is that the case? So the re differentiates between Ner Hanukkah and Ner Shabbat. Three says, the Ner Hanukkah ba. The primary purpose of the candles of Hanukkah are not for benefit. They're designated to create the publicizing of the miracle. And because of the love of that miracle and that mitzvah, person doesn't want the candles to blow out. He wants them to burn as long as possible. He wants the oil to be used towards this mitzvah. He does not have in his mind that, oh, I'll go use the extra oil afterwards. He doesn't have it in mind because he wants it to go as long as possible. He's excited about the mitzvah. He doesn't want a single drop of oil to be wasted. The reason people light candles for Shabbat, we've discussed this numerous times, is for their own benefit. It's to have light in the house. It's for Shalom Bayit. The purpose, or primary purpose of the lighting of the candles is you can see. So you'll shave him in some So since the purpose of the candles were his benefit, he also wants the residual oil to be in his benefit. He waits, let's see, when does it blow out? I want to see when it goes out. He doesn't want it to go on forever, because he doesn't need it on forever. He only needs it on for the time of his meal or until he goes to sleep. After that, he's more than happy if it blows out, so that he can use the extra oil. And that's why it's mutar to use it. Tosfat also points out that even though in other items in Muxa, a person can put in a condition, Benash Mashot, to say that they have in mind that they're going to utilize such an item. For instance, a sukkah ri'ua, a sukkah that is not so well founded, it's going to fall over on Sukkot. And we know that once it was muksa Benash Mashot, you couldn't use it afterwards. So if a person has in mind that they know it's going to fall down, then he can have in mind Benash Mashot, that is inubo delmimena. I'm not letting it go. I have in mind that if it falls down, I'm going to use it on Shabbat, and that works. That's what it says. Why can't you do the same thing with an air here? Going into Shabbat, you have in mind that whatever is left over from the oil, I'm going to use. And then even according to the Chachamim, you should be able to do that if Benesh Meshuri has that in mind. So Tosafot differentiates in the case. He says, by the case of the Tzukah, his whole mindset is, why is it going to fall down so that I can use it? But by Ner, Iker HaTzatohu Benesh Meshot. The major time, or when it becomes Muksa, is Benesh Meshot. With Dechia B'Yadayim L'Tzorach Shabbat. 
And the reason that it's muksa then is because you lit it and you want it lit during that period. And that's like a dechia biyadayim. It's as if you push it out to be muksa biyadayim, l'tzorch Shabbat, b'chamir tfeit. And it's more chamur, below ma'ani beit tanai. And you can't make such a condition. So even though in other types of muksa we do have this possibility of conditions, we write to Nero Shabbat. Over here, even though the chachamim say because it's out of mind, that's why you can't use it, you can't bring it into mind. You can't make it muhan le Shabbat with the condition. Because the major time period where it becomes muksa and where it's designated for its use is Ben Hashemashot. And during Ben Hashemashot it was lit, and that's clearly what you want to happen during that period of time. If that's the case, you can't undermine that with the Tznai to say, oh, I'm really not taking my mind off it. I'm not mekatze. It happens by itself, bin mekatze biyadayim. It's as if you physically were mekatze biyadayim by lighting it and having it lit. Ben Hashemashot says if you were mekatze biyadayim. Okay, we'll stop over here.